The Mandela Effect is an enigma that's gone mainstream. But what is this really all about? More and more people are remembering a different past, even though the history books beg to differ. Are we now witnessing the play out of simultaneous realities and multiple timelines, or a sophisticated brain hacking mechanism that can steer our memories in whatever way it chooses? We discussed these big questions and more with frequent Higher Journeys guest and author of Reality Shifts, Cynthia Sue Larson. And we got to hear from you about your thoughts on the anomaly that just won't go away. It's always a pleasure to bring back onto the show my friend and colleague, Cynthia Sue Larson. You know, whenever I'm trying to dissect or distill or understand the absolute strangeness of reality, whenever questions arise in my mind as to what is going on in this amazing and mysterious and quirky universe, I turn to Cynthia because she always adds a texture of wonder and fascination and optimism to the conversation. And, you know, recently my thoughts have been on this idea of the Mandela effect. Now, at this point, I'm sure most of you out there have heard of the Mandela effect or ME or ME, interestingly, as it appears, uh, that it's no doubt gained enormous momentum. More people are asking the question, what happened to the past I remembered? So I thought it was time we had Cynthia back on to address this quirk of reality ask even more questions about some interesting elements that have been brought to my attention of late and include some of your comments and questions that you so kindly sent to me on our Facebook page about Mandela effects. So without further ado, I welcome back Cynthia Sue Larson. Thanks so much for joining us today, Cynthia. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Love the topic, of course. I know um, you do. Well, you know, <laughs> I call you my go-to, my go-to person on all things Mandela and reality shows. So I, it's a pleasure having you. Well, you know, this is a topic that uh, that we have covered before, I think maybe a year or so ago. In fact, I, I think we've done a couple of shows with you on this subject. But since that time, <clears throat> many more questions have come up. Uh, and from what I can see, many more people are becoming aware of such a phenomenon. Uh, and they have plenty of questions as well. So I want to begin, if you would, uh, Cynthia, about your journey, your entry into this area of inquiry and what you have been referring to as reality shifts and what got you started on this path. Yes, well, I've been investigating this, what I call the reality shift phenomenon since the late 1990s when I first started recognizing that things were appearing, disappearing, transforming, transporting. There were changes in the experience of time and it, uh, the best term I could come up with to describe it, to ask people what's going on, this is back in the ARPANET. It was really a little before the Internet. It was back when universities were connected to one another. There were no color websites with graphics or anything. But I was still doing some research to try to find out on the ARPANET, is anything else like this being reported anywhere? And I didn't see any sign of it at that time. Later, I found out that there had been, in fact, a book written with a chapter called Reality Shifts hmm. in PM PMH Atwater's book, Future Memory. Yes. Um, so I independently, I came up with pretty much the same term, started a website, began collecting worldwide reports because I didn't, I had a feeling this was bigger than Berkeley. I was in Berkeley, California, sometimes lovingly called Berserkly <laughs> by the locals. <laughs> get a t-shirt from Berserkly, California. But, you know, obviously, it's like saying that you're from the the Bermuda Triangle, and it doesn't really 
it doesn't lend credibility to the phenomenon, nor does it give it the sense of what I suspected was a worldwide nature to it. I had a feeling that when I was witnessing statues appearing or disappearing, large things like buildings, mm. um, like, like a sundial sculpture that was about 20 feet high, uh, these kinds of objects that there's no way they could just suddenly be there one minute and gone the next or have never been there before and then suddenly they're there as if they've always been there for decades in the case of that Berkeley sundial at the Berkeley Marina. And so that that's what drove me forward to risk my own reputation, basically, to step forward and say, this is happening. I believe it's a, a phenomenon that probably is related to, uh, as I've been explicating over the decades I've been researching it, it looks to me like this, what we're witnessing is quantum... Uh, phenomena, the things that you expect at the quantum so-called level below the Planck scale, in other words, the field is very, very extremely tiny, um, you know, things like spooky action at a distance, superposition of states, teleportation, all that stuff. But I believe what we're seeing is we're seeing it at every level of reality. And that, that was the premise. As to why it happens, I've been entertaining lots of possible reasons for that over the last 20 years that I've been researching this and writing books about it, such as reality shifts mm -hmm. when consciousness changes the physical world. Right, right. You sure have. Well, I want to I want to borrow a quote from you that I think is so apropos and maybe have you elaborate on this. You've described uh, what we're calling Mandela. I think we can fair, safely say that Mandela effects as they're known and your reality shifts. We can use that term interchangeably. Yes. Yes. Okay, good enough. Because I do think it's it's uh, a very similar uh, observation. But you call this discontinuities on a macro scale. We're, I've heard you say that, and I think it was maybe in our conversation. And, and I, I'd like to have you uh, elaborate a bit on how that relates to a quantum model. When you say discontinuities on a macro scale, we're talking about, I, I'm assuming, some of the things that you talked about of buildings appearing and disappearing. In fact, we're going to, we're going to share with the audience a little snippet that I heard of uh, di disappearing buildings, but also collective Mandela uh, effects. Uh, of course, the, the most uh, famous of all and how the name was coined is from the um, alive again or dead again, I guess is how you could put it of Nelson Mandela, the Berenstain, Berenstain bears the Snow White and the Mirror Mirror versus Magic Mirror, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood theme song, etc. The tons of them and more coming out. These are what I would call collective, <clears throat> collectively experienced Mandela effects. But would this all kind of come under the umbrella of discontinuities on a macro scale? Yes, I believe so. This is what I'm talking about in terms of noticing alternate histories. That's another phrase mm -hmm. or another way to describe it. So that we can say that Facts can change, actually, and, and that is exactly what I'm saying. And there, I've, I've witnessed it happen so many times. In fact, flip-flopping of histories, uh, I'll occasionally witness things that go, seem to go back and forth between a couple of possible states, and they're happening like in my neighbor's gutter that I'm looking out the window right now at. Sometimes it looked, it used to look like it had a leaf guard over it. And then sometimes not. And it would go kind of back and forth for a period of a, a few weeks. And finally, it settled down to no leaf guard like that had never been installed and I'd never seen it. But I have seen it. So, hmm. you know, things things like that. 
you have so many examples in, in your book, Reality Shifts, and I want to make sure we have a link uh, accompanying this uh, interview so people can pick up a copy if they don't have it already. We go into so many great examples. But I want to re read a quote to you, uh, Cynthia, a great quote. I recently read an article called Coping, Slipping Time and the Mandela Effect. And it's from the website urbansurvival.com. I'm not hadn't been familiar with that website until recently. But it simply says, quote, this Mandela effect has some very interesting implications for quantum physics, as much as psychology, because there is some evidence that the world, quote, splits and goes off in several directions at once, end quote, after doing so, it will, quote, rejoin itself periodically, end quote. <laughs> is this an oversimplified explanation of, of what we're seeing here? Or would this be one way to distill what's happening? Well, it's uh, it's like any kind of natural biological observation, like a naturalist who's out in the wild watching birds or other kinds of animals. Um, that, that's kind of like where we're at when we observe Mandela effects. When you're experiencing it, then you're suddenly finding yourself in this surprising position of um, noticing something that doesn't seem like it fits what you were expecting. And it, it happens unexpectedly. It, it's not like a laboratory setting where you designed your own experiment and you're now going to have, you know, very controlled facility with controlled variables. It's nothing like that. You're out in your regular daily life and then something bizarre happens. <laughs> you mm. know, <laughs> And I, th I think, I don't know this urban survival website you speak of, but when they talk about the world splitting and then going off and then sometimes rejoining itself, it sure can feel that way for the experiencer. Mm -hmm. So so I think that's certainly a fair way to describe it. And I've been collecting these firsthand reports from people. Sometimes they'll attribute these things to fairies, elves, angels, dead loved ones, ETs, you know, all sorts of things. Sometimes they don't try to attribute it to anything mm -hmm. and just mar marvel at the bizarreness of the experience. I think I'm in that camp, frankly, because I think we'll be just grasping at straws to try to figure out what's going on. I just happen to think the mystery is fascinating. But uh, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> apologize to my audience and to you because I'm a little bit hoarse. I've been doing a lot of talking lately. So uh, forgive me in advance for my clearing my throat so much. Well, you know, obviously, the Mandela effect has its proponents and its fair amount of opponents and, and detractors and people wanting to uh, relegate these experiences to uh, nothing but false memories, false memories. What do you have to say about that? Well, for those people, I love to bring up some of the the science that I mentioned in my book, Quantum Jumps, where I, t I delve into the placebo effect, because to me, uh, what we're witnessing with the doubling of the placebo effect is not an unrelated subject, is what I'm telling you. It's mm. a very related subject. So when, when we know for sure that people can have a meaningless surgery that has nothing to do with curing them, or they can take a sugar pill or a salt solution injection and suddenly find that a lifelong condition that was afflicting them with severe pain and disability is suddenly gone. And that that, that placebo effect has, in fact, doubled in America over the last 30 years. And so it's gone from something like 30% improvement if you just take like a sugar pill or saline solution or you know, the, the sham surgery. And now we're seeing people uh, experiencing something like 60% and upward improvement huh. uh, from the same placebo. Th then what I would challenge those skeptics with is, okay, so if this sort of uh, macroscopic quantum effect is not occurring, how do you guys explain the placebo effect? Hmm. 
Right. Good question. And so what if I'm understanding, you're saying that there has been a market increase in success rates for placebo effects in, uh, recently. Is that what you're saying? Abs- or, huh? Absolutely. Yes. And, and it, it, more so for people who have some kind of faith, actually, which yeah. is indicative of how to benefit more um, positively from this reality shift Mandela effect phenomenon. Mm. That's interesting because one question I wanted to bring up, I will bring up, and that is, have have you noticed a market increase in people either recognizing Mandela effects or just the, the topic becoming more popular or a combination thereof? It seems to me there there is. Yes, it's gone mainstream. When I first brought the subject out, I told you I felt like I was risking my rep- what there was of my reputation. <laughs> like, oh, great. I'm starting a website and it's going to be really out there. Okay. Um, but I felt like I, I needed to do that because it, to me it was something that no one was talking about. And if I doubted for a minute that it was happening, I'd get even more spectacular experiences with it. Mm-hmm. And so so I knew at least on a personal level, it's time to share my experience. And I, I didn't want to be the only one. And I wanted all of us to come together. I know there's strength in numbers. And what we're seeing, remember, that was in the late 90s, right at the beginning of the Internet. Now uh, it's 20 years on, and the Internet is a big thing. Everyone's got the Internet in their pocket with their cell phones. That was not the case 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and now people are on social media. There was no social media back then. Um, there were no blogs. You know. So just to give you some reference, like what's changed. So now, thanks to websites like Reddit and all these other, you know, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, people can rapidly share uh, very clearly that they have experienced something bizarre, like witnessing a change in movie dialogue, product name, so forth. And mm-hmm. when celebrities and, and people that people trust are saying that, and you can hear it instantly, uh, then there's definitely strength in numbers that we never had before. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I'm thinking that, you know, you and I, uh, just for the audience, Cynthia and I have known each other for, my gosh, what are we talking? Close to 25 years, maybe, maybe even a little longer. Um, I, I, and that's how we first came together. I, I don't even remember how we actually connected, but we did not have the platforms to connect, but somehow we found our way to each other. Our, our strange stories found, <laughs> found each other. And, uh, you're right. It's really something to kind of go back in your memory banks and think about how little resources and, the ability to share these stories uh, we had and, and look now. So that's that's a good well, thing. Well, I, I remember you were a pioneer back then, and you were one of the few people that was also putting your reputation on the line. And I had so much respect for you because you, you also, like me, had come from a very prestigious, uh, repu- you know, you had a good reputation before this. And, and I'm not saying you don't now. But Past tense. It was- <laughs> Past. <laughs> but there's, there's a tremendous risk to go sure. out there. On that yeah. limb yeah. and talk about metaphysics and you are doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, well, that's yeah. a whole nother can of worms, can of worms. Maybe we can get into later, but uh, it is good to have a company because sometimes this can be a lonely journey. And, you know, you and I had talked offline briefly about a, a meeting that I had recently had and let's just say the individual and it was, it was something unrelated, but uh, obviously I broached always can find a way to, to bring in some of the high strangeness of reality into any conversation. And it was just so interesting, her, her reaction. And I thought, my gosh, either I'm the luckiest person in the world or the loneliest, <laughs> but either way, I'm happy I'm here. 
So, oh boy. Well, listen, let's, there's so much it, I, I want to get to. And I, for everyone that's listening that sent in your wonderful way in your comments and your questions about, uh, in response to my request to, uh, uh, to get into the subject of Mandela effects, hold tight. Cause we're going to get to that on the, on the back end of the show. I want to, uh, read verbatim some of the things that you sent in to me, but we got a bit to get through first. Um, Cynthia, I want to touch on the possible interference. I'm going to call this the interference of human perception. Now, as controversial and conspiratorial as this may sound, I think it would be fair to bring this into the conversation. Um, so I want to get into that a little bit. You know, many are talking about how things like quantum computing and elf wave, elf waves, that's uh, extremely low frequency, and other uh, what I'd call exotic technologies are being used to possibly manipulate our own consciousness and at a minimum our own brains with this increased push toward AI, artificial intelligence. I would say all possibilities are on the table, including this idea that we are being messed with, including possibly our memories. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's uh, obviously anything's possible in these realms. And I, as you and I were talking offline before we started, I mentioned I just delivered, I wrote a paper and gave it at a conference for Foundations of Mind that was honoring Henry Stapp. And I was sharing some of the ideas. Uh, this is physicist Henry Stapp, mm-hmm. who, who writes uh, very clearly and cogently about the idea that when when um, nature, when we ask a question, the, the thought itself is actually the thinker. And when a question is asked of nature, nature answers. So this all sounds rather simple and straightforward. But then if you take it to the level you're taking it right now, and you're looking at these controversial issues about quantum computing, about elf waves, about exotic technologies, absolutely, there's always going to be the possibility for a great power to, of you know, asking questions and nature answering to be misused. And then you're bringing in these um, possible technologies that could be influencing people's ability to think and how we think. And that can definitely have a very deleterious effect Mm. overall. Yeah, interesting. Well, this is something obviously I don't know that any of us can really get to the heart of and know the truth about unless we're unfortunately involved in them in some way. But I, I just think, I mean, there have been so many conversations of late uh, happening, particularly in the alternative community with regard to the deleterious effects of AI. And it, look, it's no secret. They are pushing, using it by its name, AI, artificial intelligence, as like it or not, this is where we're going. And so implicit in that, who knows how it's being being used um, experimentally on on us. And, you know, I want to I want to piggyback that with I want I'd love to get your uh, comments, Cynthia, on how the Montauk experiments play into this idea of it all. I want to give you another tidbit from this Urban Survival article, which basically says this, quote, the Montauk experiment allegedly proved that human perception could be manipulated to a large degree by modulating certain frequencies on a carrier wave operating in the 425 to 450 megahertz range. Huh. Is there a connection there? Well, I don't have personal experience with it, but again, it's anything's possible. Uh, obviously, I've heard from people that uh, that were not there, but who have studied that that experiment, and they do say that things went terribly wrong. Uh, so, 
and I think we, we're, I'm also hearing about some things going terribly wrong recently is just summer of last year with artificial intelligence. So if, huh. it's interesting you bring those two things together. I, I think when we avoid, when we don't look at the precautionary principle, when we disregard ethics, that we put ourselves into a position of tremendous risk. And so I, I definitely recommend people listen to people like Elon Musk. Hmm. You, may, you may like, you might hate him. It doesn't matter about his political views and so forth. But when you just recognize, just look at his technological proficiency. Here's a person who's launched, for whatever reason, you know, a uh, <laughs> electric car into space. Hmm. And, you know, so he's done some crazy things, but obviously the cars that he creates and the projects he's worked on, uh, they're very high tech. You know, he created, he helped create PayPal and so forth. This is not someone who's a Luddite. So he's not a Luddite, yet he's one of the top people telling us that we need to be careful about what we're letting loose with artificial intelligence, that it's more dangerous than the atom bomb. And, you know, that the, the, because once once these systems have the ability to think for themselves, make choices for themselves, ask questions for themselves, uh, we will not be able to contain them. And I've worked in computer security. I can tell you the first thing we learn is there's no such thing as a secure system. Mm-hmm. Well, you just, I, I have to bring this back in again. I'm trying to recall exactly the way you put this quote, because I think it's relevant. You said that uh, the thought becomes the thinker. And so if artificial intelligence is being taught to think, it's not only thinking, it is the thinker. That's right. <laughs> that makes sense. So, you, you know, it's a little, it's a little creepy to me. I, I have to say, you know, yeah, let's, <laughs> it leaves us both speechless. Let me ask you a question. We talked a good bit offline and I have to tell the the folks uh, in the audience, if we didn't get this thing started, I mean, whenever Cynthia and I get together, it's just, there's so many things to catch up on. We were just going on and on and on. Um, and we had some really, she had some really neat things that uh, she shared with me. Would you be willing to share, and I, I'll, I'll kind of put you on the spot. Um, this is public. I mean, this is in a book that you said you read, you're reading now that was published back in the forties that has to do that spoke about technology within the context of ethics or lack thereof. Can you share that with us? Yes, I'm um, because I'm working currently on a um, it's a fest shrift for Henry Stapp. He's turning 90. So mm. a lot of us are gathering together to share our different philosophies and viewpoints on reality and quantum physics and what the nature of ontological reality is based on what we've learned from quantum mechanics. So I found in my library, my personal library here where I live, a book called Cybernetics written in 1948 by Norbert Wiener. What I found so interesting is that not only is he in this book describing his meetings with some of the people that I'm including their ideas in this, in what I'm doing, such as von Neumann, that's John von Neumann, who he's legendary in American history in terms of being a mathematician and a scientist. Uh, he's uh, one of the people who Henry Stapp uh, references with his uh, view of how to, you know, basically conceptualize the the two-step process that we have between uh, creating our free will questions that we pose to nature and then how nature responds. So von Neumann is the one who came up with that idea for that cut. But the book itself, here's Mm -hmm. where, this is what you and I were talking about that blew my mind, 
in the book, the author is basically discussing that in as he's writing this book about cybernetics and looking at the future of cyborgs and this uh, human-computer interface and how neuron activity can interface with computers. Remember, this is 1948 mm-hmm. now. Um, he was saying that a lot of people he talks to were wishing that we could now seems like our science has come so far it's time to raise social sciences and things you know along the lines of caring for each other and what we can do in terms of uh, looking after our society and for one another and basically he said you know that that's just kind of nonsense I've I've got the book I'm holding it right now and I, Mm. I, I, I don't have it flipped to the right page but I was shocked because he was saying basically uh that you know, science needs to proceed forward, and we do not, you know, it's going to be dog-eat, he didn't call it dog-eat-dog, dog, but he did say that the stronger will survive, and mm-hmm. it, and that lays the groundwork for the world we now live in. That's what you and I were talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's any secret. I think, you know, that model, the, um, you know, the um, dog-eat-dog, dog, essentially, and, you know, survival of the fittest model is uh, part of the, part and parcel of the uh, the materialist model of, of how things work. Um, so that's still a bit shocking. So, uh, well, yeah, we're going to stay on this theme of possible conspiracy for a little bit. Then we're going to graduate beyond that because <laughs> there's a lot uh, beyond it as well. But in keeping with experimentation with human consciousness, a thought occurred to me, another thought, a bunch of thoughts, but in these instances of Mandela effects, um, individuals who are at first adamant that they remember something in a certain way, particularly when it's shown that what they remember was never that way. Could this be some mechanism, Cynthia, by which people are now in the position of questioning their own sanity? In other words, I can't trust myself anymore because I can't even recall what happened. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's 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 yeah, almost as if they're being tested. Okay, you're talking about false memory syndrome? and you Well, know, I th- mean... Those are ex- yeah, well, I'm whether That's false memory thing. or yeah. just how people are viewing themselves. Now they're questioning their own sanity about, my God, I could swear that she said mirror, mirror, not magic mirror. Well, and then before you know it, they're thinking about it going, maybe it was magic mirror. And then another instance comes up. And, and as we know, and you, folks, you can go on the Internet and see tons of examples of historical references that were completely different than what you remember. And so what I'm saying is from looking at this, you know, thinking about the possibility that there's a faction that may want to weaken uh, not only the ethics of humanity, but the chances of evolution um, could be lessened if you get people to not trust themselves and certainly not trust their own memory or sanity. Right. Yeah, this is definitely the case. And but but I I guess what I'd like people to be aware of is it might Let's back up a second. So what I'm basically proposing is that we're experiencing these discontinuities at a macroscopic scale, which is what you were honing in on earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what's going on. And so I'm proposing, yes, that's happening. And so we might expect that from time to time, uh, when we look back at our pasts, it's not just one past, but we might have an overlay, sort of a blurriness, if you will. And I know people... We've been told that there's only one past. We, we've been told that there's an infinite number of possible futures, but only one past. Mm. And what, what I'm telling you today is um, consider that that may be completely wrong and that that was a very simplified view 
which to me is not the truth. And it's not just that there's one or two possible pasts, because sometimes you'll hear about that, like, well, I'm from the reality where, you know, <laughs> mm. Mandela died in prison and you're from this other reality. And what I'm saying is um, it's, it's like it's much more like branches on a tree. And there's so many, 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 many possible pasts that that's actually what it looks like we're witnessing that, that I've been observing for the last 20 years. Mm. So, so when we question our memory, um, what we're noticing is that our memories are acting very quantum. And here's where I re refer people to the excellent work of Jerome Busemeyer, who wrote uh, Quantum Decisions and um, Perception Decision Making. Oh, I'm mangling the title of the book, but you can look it up. It's Jerome Busemeyer, B-U-S-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And he co-authored this book, noticing that most of our mental processes from, uh, it's not just our memory mechanism and the way we retrieve memories, but also the way we make decisions. So all of these processes that are mental in our that we make every day are, are extremely quantum. You can simulate them with quantum mathematics. So quite a bit of the book is filled with equations, but um, you can skip that part. Just read the English, and it's still a worthwhile book. Mm -hmm. You know, if you feel if you feel overwhelmed by the math, it's all quite well explained in the in the paragraphs. And and what's explained is that humans, uh, we we're quantum creatures. Now it doesn't get so much into this possible past business that I'm talking about. It's a very narrow viewpoint. It's basically showing that we make decisions and have memories based on uh, the sequence of events that we notice and mm. based on and the way we associate things. Like mm -hmm. like like when I talk to Alexis, then I remember things things I talk to Alexis about. So there's a whole category that jumps up, you know. It's kind of like if you have a mind map or something, and you know that's how we think, and that's how quantum computers also operate. Mm -hmm. The term selective memory comes to mind, and that term's been bantied about, sort of, and you know, oftentimes we're being ch chastised. You don't. Your mother might say to you, "You don't remember what I told you that." Well, you have selective memory. You you remember what you want to remember. Uh, so yeah, that's inter that's an interesting correlation. I'm glad you brought that up. Very much so. And I'm glad you brought up the difference in uh, what happened because that's something I've been tracking for um, years and I wrote a, a co-authored a paper on that exact thing where two people say things and they disagree and they're both, they both know they're right. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I suggest in the paper is please, if it's a loved one, go ahead and assume or, you know, make that assumption that maybe we both are right. Yes, we totally disagree. The two pasts are actually at odds with one another and they could not have coexisted. But let's consider maybe they did. Hmm. That's mind-bending for sure. <laughs> well, listen, let's let's take our foot off the I'll take my foot off the conspiracy gas pedal for now. <laughs> and I want to move back to the idea of the I mean all of this is about the nature of consciousness and reality. But here's another thought, Cynthia. Um if the frequency of our planet is changing, some feel it's raising, is it that our perspective of consciousness is changing along with it? Meaning that we are now witnessing the malleability of events, including the past. And I think you kind of made that point before, but you know, do you know what I mean? Based on the frequency of the planet changing, assuming it is doing such, uh, are we just becoming more sent, uh, tuned into the plasticity of reality? 
That's a fair thing to take a look at. And there's there's definitely some supporting, uh, corroborating evidence to, from the writings and the the legend or this the actually it's not so much written necessarily but indigenous people the world over have noticed that we've gone through many endings of the world to put it um, <laughs> trying yeah. to put it nicely and so each time the world ends it seems like there you know there there has been this gradual raising of frequencies so this has been part of very ancient history going back to when the indigenous people talk about a great flood for example which is the most recent time the world ended. And we have a flood story in the Bible as well. And so I think when you talk about a raising of frequency, we can feel it. A lot of our legend, a lot of our mythology, a lot of our religions, a lot of our spirituality speaks to that. And then people are now recording. I think you might be referring to the Schumann residence. Mm -hmm. residence. Yeah, yeah, as frequency. an example, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so there are ways we can track this both uh, through the literature, through anthropology, social studies, and also the Schumann resonance itself. And when we notice all these things are lining up, and sure enough, it looks like there's been a raising of vibrations, if you want to call it that, then definitely, that definitely lends us this ability to start taking a look at patterns. Humans are pattern-sensing creatures. Mm. And as we as we do more and more meditation, the hippocampus of our brains, which is the the place where we tend to notice these patterns originally for survival purposes so we could find where they where to hunt and where to gather and so forth and how to survive where we are less likely to be attacked by alligators at what time of day and in what places all those pieces of information so we're pattern finders and as we meditate more and our hippocampus is increasing we're starting to notice that wow we're thinking something and it's happening mm -hmm. and so what Piaget, the psychologist, used to call magical thinking in children, I, I would consider that to be on a global scale that we're collectively asking ourselves, are we thinking magically? Is this, you know, and I think those are the kind of questions we're asking when we think, we start doubting ourselves. Like, is this, did I, did my thoughts affect the outcome of this situation? Mm -hmm. And you know, am I at cause for this? And like you noticed, even Mandela Effect spells out me, M-E. Yeah. Sure does. So, yeah. Subjective reality, really. You know, my awareness of what happened here, as real as it may, uh, uh, as it is to me, it's subjective. I've always had this sense, Cynthia, that there are multiple truths. <laughs> You know, everybody wants to get, you know, we have a whole movement now called the truth movement. And I, I don't know if I sit well with that term per se, because in my, my sense and my sort of musing for many years, I thought there's something really plausible about subjective reality, meaning that truth is in the eye of the beholder and the heart of the experiencer. Um, and so if we allow for that, then all of these things, you know, these Mandela effects, uh, take on a new meaning. It did happen that way. Jif is, was, is Jiffy, but it's Jif. Captain Crunch is Captain Crunch. <laughs> you, you've heard of some of these other, it's so funny because I'm hearing about more Mandela effects that are being recognized. And those are two of them that, uh, you know, Star Wars. And I, I'm not a big Star Wars person, but, you know, something about Darth, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it, but there's tons of examples as we know. But yes. if there are multiple truths, and maybe they're all true, 
Hmm. Well, listen, let's, <laughs> a lot of this is, I don't know what you're doing out there, audience, and maybe just scratching your head. We're just kind of all, all of us really just collective musing, I suppose. But let's, let's move on to this. I, I want to share with you and the audience uh, a quick soundbite from my friend Jimmy Church uh, and a show he did with a woman named Laurie McDonald. I, I'm not really, haven't, hadn't been familiar with her work until just now. Uh, a show that uh, they did on Mandela Effects back in late uh, 2016. I believe it was December of 2016. Listen to this individual who called into the show to talk about his experience what I would call a classic Cynthia Sue Larson style reality shift. Listen to this. Let me throw a big curveball on this. My wife and I used to go to Galveston every weekend for 12 years. Every weekend. We have a boat down there and we live in Houston. On the way down there, there was a set of apartments, just old rundown apartments on the left hand side of the freeway, and they were painted pink. Every now and then, we drive down there, and I go, hey, look, sweetheart, they changed the end color of the apartments to gray. And every now and then, look back over, and they look pink again. And I said to her, isn't it odd that they keep changing the color of these run-down apartments? Well, you know, you pay no attention to it. They're just crummy old apartments. One day, about 10 years later, we're going down there, and the apartments are gone. They oh, look, they finally tore down those apartments. Well, maybe they'll build something nice there. About a month later, we're down there, and I said, look, you're not going to believe it. There were those damn apartments. <laughs> and we drove, We got off the freeway, drove over there, and looked at them. This big uh, demolition company called Ocean was over there, and they were tearing them down. And I said to the guy, I said, when did you start this project? He said, Wednesday. <laughs> wow. And I said to my wife, I said, remember I told you that every now and then things change and right. they change without explanation. I said, remember when I told you the light switch in the hallway was on the right and you kept telling me it was on the left? <laughs> every now and then. But I don't think everybody experiences this. Just certain times we shift or it shifts, whatever you want to call it, right. from one reality to another, and things are almost the same, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an honest, true story. Those apartments change colors. So while we were there, I went over, and I looked at the paint on. I took out my <laughs> knife, and I peeled a little piece off. Yeah, yeah there, were two, there were two colors. There were gray and pink, period, amen. There were no layers. Pink and gray, period. Amen. Yeah, you have it. Yeah, and what's funny is you guys are going to be driving down the road next week, and they're going to be back. No, well, there's that's... brand new, big, fancy apartments put up there. <laughs> but how did you notice, like Jiffy? It's always been Jiffy, it right? Wasn't Jiffy. It was I'm, Jiffy. I'm telling you, it's Here, mess. It's it messing was. with me. Thank you for the phone call, Courtney. You have a yeah, great, great story. Yeah, great. Have a good one. And have Thank a great you. New Year's. You got it. Thank you so you much. Too. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. What a story. <laughs> okay, Cynthia, Ms. Reality Shifts, your thoughts on this amazing story of the disappearing apartment buildings? Well, this is totally a classic. It's it, You're right. It totally fits with the stories that I've been collecting for the last 20 years and have been noticing myself since 1994. Uh, basically, uh, this is the sort of thing where, it, you know what I love about the story? He's first noticing 
these rundown, you know, crummy apartments is just on the left side of the freeway. They're they're pink, they're gray, <laughs> they go back and forth, and then they're gone. You know, it's like, oh, good. That's like 10 years down the road. It's like, okay, finally they got rid of those things. And then a month later, they're back. Okay, so this is where you can no longer say there's just some small confusion on his part. I love this example because, you know, unless you think that he is just off his rocker because he does later admit he's seen a light switch be on one side or the other on the wall or mm-hmm. what have you. Right. But I would, I would actually say this is a classic uh, reality shift story because not only does he have a very clear recollection of what happened? But and it's, uh, but it's, it's not just him. It's also his wife. That's so right. Yes. The assumption, you know, I, I understand from the way he's telling it that Courtney's wife as well had experienced exactly the same thing on the road to Galveston. That they're both noticing mm-hmm. uh, all of this. And they were together when they got off the freeway to question the demolition company. Like, when did you start this whole project? And then they say Wednesday. Wednesday. But obviously, a month earlier, you know, it's like they, it's like this is crazy. Like the apartments had been gone, so they can't be torn down twice. Nobody in their right mind is going to tear apartments down twice. That doesn't happen. And then the paint colors, good heavens, you know, it's just the whole thing. Right. Well, the, so it was a two part. I didn't know he was going to first. He was talking about just the shifting of the the color. First, it's pink, then it's gray, yeah. then it's gone. Now it's back. Mm-hmm. That was. What do you say? Right. I just that, now you want to talk about the discontinuity of macro scale. <laughs> the, the, this, this it doesn't get any more scale. macro than that. Yeah, and, what 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 I tend to notice is things that don't matter too much. Like like who's really going to care about a group of crummy apartments on the side of the freeway as you go flying by to Galveston? You know, you happen to notice it. It's kind of a landmark, but it's not relevant in one's daily life. So those are the kind of things that I've been witnessing myself and others that have been changing. And, you know, like the first ones that I was noticing is I'd be reading a book to my daughter that she loved. She'd read the same book every night. It was Billy Goat's Gruff. And, you know, at some point the troll gets tossed over the bridge. And every time we got to that page, I thought, too too bad the troll is such a speck in the distance. You know, that's the troll's big moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, this it's... And then one day I turned the page and the troll the troll filled the whole page. Oh my gosh. I wow. was speechless and my daughter said, What's that? Why did that change, mommy? And that, we have not Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's the same book. So these are you know, that's why I started the website with stuff like that happening in my life. Right. And I recall hearing that from you. Yeah. And and so I believe with Courtney, because his wife was there, it gives him the courage. Because it's when you've got that other person, when my daughter's there and she's I'm just speechless. I'm staring at it like what? And then my daughter asks the question, Mommy, why is the troll so big? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's not just me. (laughs) You guys are going to have to go into the witness protection program. (laughs) (laughs) This is some serious stuff here. Well, you know, something just occurred to me, uh, Cynthia. This is this is great, but this whole idea when we're talking about concrete and steel and glass. Blinking out is what I would call it. You know what comes to mind? Have you ever read the book uh, Stalking the Wild Pendulum by Itzhak Bentoff? 
I believe. Love it. Love it. Oh yeah. my gosh. As do I. Ditto. That's a part of my personal library. And I have referenced him so many times in my work because he has such an elegant way of explaining or likening reality to this pendulum that is constantly oscillating. But and I'm going to try to explain this to the audience, to my recollection. Uh, as you look at a pendulum that's going from left to right, right to left, what we're seeing, what we're, what our brains are typically registering is a constant movement to and fro. But he talks about those moments that cannot be quantified when they're at a still point on either side of that, that toing and froing that reality can blink off. Things are changing. And, and this is the sort of the visual I got in my mind when I heard the story of, I think his name was Clyde, actually. I think Jimmy misheard his name. Clive or Clyde. Okay. Whatever. Thank we'll you. call him Courtney. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the guy, the guy with the blinking off buildings and pink. Yeah. And That's what occurred to me that again, our brain, and we're going to, we can bring in the holographic model. We can bring in the simulation. Maybe we can touch on that idea. But if reality is at some point blinking on and off, our brains may be doing that with it at those very, very, ma uh, still th those very, uh, unquantifiable still points. Could it be that it was in that still point, even though he and his wife saw it, that he got caught up in and didn't see the building was not there? Yeah, that's, this is going into the way I see the world. Yes, that we are uh, primarily, this is different than law of attraction, by the way. So, um, so if people are familiar with law of attraction, in that model, you think of yourself as being your body, basically, and you change your body and your vibrations with meditation, and then things come to you. It's kind of similar. Uh, what I'm actually saying is along the lines of what you're describing from stalking the wild pendulum, that we are uh, essentially consciousness we are yeah. consciousness we are consciousness yeah. and the ex and he gives great i love the little exercises in that book too they're really good mm. um, <laughs> but anyway yeah so it gives you the idea like okay if we're consciousness then we are sort of blipping in and out we're kind of like in in a physical reality and then we go back to being pure consciousness and then we're in a physical reality which by the way might not be the one we were in a moment before that's right we yeah we, t we tend to assume it is, and maybe often it is, or something similar, but often it doesn't matter that much, and we've moved into something slightly adjacent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this gets us back to uh, uh, wave-particle duality and really sort of dipping in and out of the wave and the particle as consciousness. So, uh, oh, that, we could go off on a tangent there. Let's... <laughs> Let's keep it moving. Here's here's something that came to mind. I am so anxious to hear your thoughts on this, Cynthia. It's a question I want to pose to you, particularly we're both writers and researchers, as well as those listening out there. Have you ever looked at or even wrote or typed out a word and you look at it, swearing that something doesn't look right, the spelling is wrong, even though the word is absolutely spelled right? This happens to me on occasion. I'm, I'm, do you know what I mean when I say that? You might be looking at a word like consciousness as an example. Sometimes there are words that can be a little not difficult to spell, but they're not simple words. And you'll go, but why does that not look right to me? Yeah. Have you ever yeah, had that, that happen? Yeah. And I've looked at it and like, well, I guess that is right. Um, and it is yeah. right. You look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> and like, what am I thinking? I've only read this word a million times. But I'm wondering, Cynthia, if this connects somehow with what we're talking about. 
Why is it well, that sometimes we just see or remember things as being different? <laughs> I think it's that's another possible example that we probably remembering uh, having seen a similar world, word or a different word in a different so-called physical world that mm -hmm. we might actually have like a leak through memory from another reality. And this 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 can affect us with things that we thought people have said, that facts that we think that we've been told or have read, that we actually haven't read, but we remember it as if it's real. And you know, all of these things can be affected. You know, this is. Let me ask you a question before I go, because my brain is just going crazy here. My my consciousness. I have so many things that are kind of coming to my mind as we talk about this. But let me ask you: Can you go a few minutes longer? Um, than we had planned. I know we went for an hour, but I've, I've got to get these wonderful comments from my Facebook. Oh, sure. Okay, yes. great, great. Because I can see where, because I want to get, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to all of them, but I want to get to quite a few. But here's something that occurred to me, Cynthia, and everybody out there listening, I want you to see how you feel about this. We're talking about, you, you just brought up the example of hearing somebody say something to you and you could swear it was something different, but they're saying, no, I said thus and so. Think about all of the, unfortunately, people that are bickering, the grievances, particularly now, there's bickering on social media, there's infighting with groups and friends and family members about oftentimes minutia. But nonetheless, I'm thinking of, I'm going to bring up one right now that I can think of, I'm not going to mention this person's name if they're listening, but this is a person who was really angry at me because she claims that she has reached out to me multiple times, called me, texted me, emailed me, and I have not answered her once. Now I'm going to say for the record, and I hope this person is listening, she was so emphatic about it. And I was just shocked because she was upset with me. And I thought, so-and-so, I'm not going to mention her name, there's no way I have not heard from you. I was so, but, but here we go. I questioned. I went back. I checked email for a year. I asked my husband, did so-and-so leave a message? No. Text message. So here we go. Questioning what you remember. But think about perhaps the amount of grievances and bickering that we could avoid if we started to understand that maybe that person has a different, isn't a different reality and had a different exchange or memory than you had, or maybe you're both right. Do you, do you see where I'm going here? See, this is where right. the Mandela effect goes from novelty to, hmm, if we have a little bit of a broader perspective on what may be going on, we may avoid a lot of conflict. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's the paper I co-authored called When Worlds Collide, and I wrote it with an anthropologist, and we, when, when we delivered the paper at a conference, we, we role-played and we acted out parts, um, because it's the kind of thing that does happen in your relationships with friends, with loved ones, with, it could be your spouse, your child, your parent, your best friend, and I just want people that are listening to recognize that that could easily happen to you. Mm -hmm. It may have, in fact, it may have already happened. And you might have been so convinced that you were correct because of the history you remember yes. that you've been perhaps unwilling to grant them uh, equal respect for the history they remember. This is a big deal. As I'm, th you know, I'm just kind of thinking about this right now. This is a big deal. And I could bring this all the way back to 
if Mandela effect like encounters are somehow being manipulated, guess what this does? It adds to the whole divide strategy because there's a lot of bickering going on with people that are saying one thing. They remember one thing. You remember, I did say this. I did do this. No, you didn't. Think about that. I just want to leave that with everyone for a moment because God knows if we can, if we can alleviate uh, the, the, the growing tension that's going on on a micro and a macro level uh, based on our understanding of something like this, well, heck, it's worth having this conversation. So let's, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Okay. Now it's time to get to some of the excellent comments from our audience. Are you ready, Cynthia? <laughs> And I yes. hope they're all hanging out. <laughs> but this has been a great conversation. So uh, hopefully we didn't lose anyone there. But I do want to get to this. And again, I want to just send a special thank you to everyone from the, the Higher Journeys Facebook family for being so uh, engaged. And uh, I did a little video request for people uh, that uh, may have had personal or individual uh, Mandela effects. And I got some of those, but I got a lot of people that just wanted to lend their two cents on what they think is going on. So Let's start with, um, this was interesting. I'm, I'm not going to mention last names. I think I'm just going to do first name and last initial, even though they are public. But this one's from Anna D. She says, you know, I haven't had uh, a personal Mandela effect yet, but I am thinking, this is what she says, I am thinking that we might be dealing with two distinct groups of people. Group A is native to this timeline, and group B woke up one morning and found themselves here. She says 2012 may be the time of the switch. It's freaky because group B is having a hard time relating to this timeline. Group B people have an interest in ascension and spirituality, which leads me to believe that group B was switched for an obvious reason. She says, just throwing that out. <laughs> That's what she had to say. What do you have to say, Cynthia? Well, uh, I've been researching this phenomenon that started for me. Uh, well, I, I noticed it, of course, in 1994. But then when I paid more attention, I recognized I'd been witnessing it all my life and that I'd been seeing things changing. But uh, when I was a child, I didn't have words for it or anything. It took a long time for me to put it together. So um, I love what I love about what Anna asks is that I love her observation that it tends to be these spiritual people that are talking mm. about the Mandela effect. That, um, I've I've heard from some that say that these are more empathic people that they're a little bit more tuned in. I I would agree that the more the more you pay attention, the more you're going to notice reality shifts. Absolutely. This is not something. Yeah, it's it doesn't go the other way. It's like the more you look, the more you'll find it. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then as far as two distinct groups. I haven't really felt like I know there's a human tendency. We want to think that way. We, we've we're coming. Remember, we're coming out of Boolean logic. We've we've always in the West we believed in true, false, black, white, all that. Um, mm -hmm. We're moving into quantum. Quantum is not Boolean. It is mm -hmm. uh, a totally different logic, and so you don't need either or. Instead, you've got um, you've got like for example, you'll have true and false. Yes. Not true. Not false. Um, then you'll have some that are true, some that are false. But your biggest groups are going to be true and false, and not true, not false. Mm -hmm. And you and you will have many, 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 many possible pasts. I no agree with you. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. And I where I do kind of understand where what Anna's saying that there there's sort there could be some people that have a proclivity toward noticing more Mandela effects. But I also I to piggyback what you're saying, Cynthia, I agree that we're in this state of, you know, the the bifurcation or separation of reality <clears throat> is one that we've lived by, the polarity, if you will, uh, for so long, but now we're sort of seeing this melding or blurring of of reality um which which may actually uh partially explain the uh, mandela uh, the the effects that we're seeing uh that it is somewhat of a blur that there was no actual distinct uh way anything was said or done or read um that all things are on the table not this or that but this and that is what i always say so and okay going and going back to what henry stamps uh, observations are about his his belief in the the thought is the thinker and it, the blurry part of that is who is the thinker and what's happening with our social media is that we're becoming much more of a global mind we don't necessarily agree with ourselves and we've got a dark underbelly too and lots of disagreement but Nevertheless, there are pockets of agreement forming within ourselves uh, as the internet and social media come together and we feel like we've got affiliations to some degree. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely that happening. And so there can be uh, like fake news, you know, hear about that. <laughs> but, but but that could be just one way to observe, like that's not my reality, that's not my history. Mm. And so little pockets of consciousness are battling with each other and we're observing that as well interesting love it okay that's great okay here's uh, a comment actually a couple of comments from millie g she says i don't believe in the mandela effect false memories are easily formed by individuals and by groups ideas slash memories as units of energy it could easily be passed around in society I'm open to being convinced, but I've just never seen any convincing evidence, nor have I experienced, my, experienced this myself. But then she comes back and leaves another comment. On the other hand, if reality is really a holograph or hologram, I guess you would say, there could easily be glitches occurring on a regular basis. And then I say, well, let's, you know, let's talk about that. The idea that we may be living in a holographic universe and also the idea of a simulated universe. So here we go with that. And thanks, Millie, by the way, for coming back and having an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, love it. And and false memory is a real thing. Uh, but what people tend to do is they'll just stop right there. They'll say, oh, false memories happen, therefore can't be reality shifts. And what I would say is false memories happen Therefore, we're, uh, let's consider the possibility that we're witnessing a mechanism in the way that we store our memories, that we're moving between realities. So it's not so much that because false memories happen and can be inculcated in a person, um, and, the, and because, like I said earlier, the placebo effect happens, then um, you could easily, just as easily flip it around and say that could be part of explanation for why we believe this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I... But the thing, but then I like, you know what I love about what Millie's pointing out? She's, she's just so honest and so forthright. I haven't had these experiences happen to me. And I think, and until, my goodness, if I hadn't had these things happen to me, I would, I would really have a skeptical raised eyebrow at this whole thing and just say, what are you guys talking about? Because <laughs> you know? it just sounds crazy. Mm, so I know does. that. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that that is a great, and again, I'm I'm happy that uh, that Millie uh, was very forthright, and but then came back and said, but you know, let's talk about the whole holographic universe, and this is a 
probably too big of a subject to tuck in the back end of the, the, the show. But I remember you saying, Cynthia, um, this whole idea of a simulated universe, and I, I don't want to necessarily assume that a simulated universe and holographic universe are viewed in the same way, although I do think they have similar features, some of them. But, uh, you know, the idea that we may be living in some sort of hack a matrix, we've heard it all, a virtual reality has always intrigued me, I'll tell you. And I've, I've had some discussions on this. We've done some shows on this. And within the context of a simula- the idea that the universe is, although there is a divine source at ultimately within, nested within the multiverse may be some sort of a simulation. Um, there was a talk that I wanted yeah. to send to you, and I, I, I apologize that I didn't have a chance to, conversation I had with Linda Moulton Howe about a uh, simulated model of reality. But this is what Millie's saying. You know, if we're living, if reality is really a hologram or a ho- has a holographic quality, there could be glitches occurring on a regular basis. So um any any added thoughts on the whole simulated or holographic model? Let's just take simulated out for a moment. Okay. Well, I like the holographic model. I think it's something that makes sense in a lot of ways. I like putting it together with the multiverse. And that's the premise that I use in my book, Quantum Jumps, just to give people a sense who might be unfamiliar with quantum phenomena otherwise as to what's going on. And these are two interpretations. And it's like, I'm, then I'm doing kind of like what we do in California. You put Thai food with Mexican and you got a Thai burrito. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm making a holographic multiverse. And that's where you've got the idea of the hologram. Where if, And that idea is that everything's connected. There's an implicit and... Um, kind of a reality. So if you pour, like imagine you've got a can of white paint and you pour some red paint into it, just a little blob of red paint, and then you stir it, and now you've got a bit of a mess. But if you unstir it, kind of like run the videotape backwards, you'll see it goes right back to the original blob that poured in. And so it's, it's the idea also that when you look at pressure points on the human body, Every single, you can access everything in your body from touching your ear. You can give your ear a massage and get, give out, get yourself a body massage. So this is these are ideas from the excellent book, The Holographic Universe by mm. Michael Tal- Talbot. My um, favorite. <laughs> My yeah, favorite. I, love, I, I love it. So when, when you talk about glitches in the hologram, um, then you're basically, I mean, there's no explanation for how that glitch got there. Michael Talbot mentions that he himself had psychokinetic abilities and when he was a certain age that all the socks in his house would suddenly be outside the drawers and spread all around the room, you know, that he was getting that kind of poltergeist activity that is often seen around teenage kids' houses. So he definitely made a connection between his own energy field and um, the age he was and so forth and maybe that had something to do with it. I I like that. So. Mm Yeah, he gives lots of great examples or gave lots of great examples of, I remember he talked about waking up with dried spaghetti noodles on his chest or something and didn't know how they got there. I mean, all sorts of poltergeist effects that he and his family experienced growing up. So when he was that certain age and, Mm. you know, and I think. And I think the energy level definitely matters when you've got um, high energy going on because you're with people or they're in love or it's a child of that, you know, just going through puberty kind of age. Then you've got the um, you've got the makings. It's kind of like there's enough energy to kind of experience that glitch right there in Mm -hmm. your hologram. 
And so that's, I'm just referencing his book because he's, he's the proponent for the holographic model, the interpretation, and he does such an excellent job of it. That's a masterpiece yeah, of a book. It sure is. That's, uh, I'm going to have to get another copy. I've marked up my initial copy so much. <laughs> But okay, let's get to a few more before we close out. This is from Jay. Shout out to Jay, uh, JF, we'll call him. He says, I'm having this inclination. And this is, by the way, abbreviated. Jay, you sent me a, a, a paper. So I'm just going to take a couple of highlights from it. It was quite uh, explanatory. He says, I'm having this inclination to believe that events themselves are coming and going in a Mandela effect like pattern or in parentheses, he says, or plug and play using principles of the multiverse theory. Here we go. Example would be things we see prevalent in our lives year to year that never bleed into the next year, but more noticeably in the news, e.g. sudden disappearance of Zika virus in 2016 after the sudden onslaught that summer, Ebola in what, 2014-ish? The talk of imminent collapse of the economy due for fall of 2016 that suddenly fell away. Now, I know a lot of stuff can be seen as media controlling the narrative, but something is telling me that there is more to the story than just media. It feels multidimensional to me when I look back at these things, as if different reality experiences are bleeding through and then falling away mechanically. Okay, well, I like the, um, I, I like the observation. And, you know, it sounds like he's also, when he says that word mechanically, it, it makes me wonder, you read the whole email or the message, but I don't know if he's going with, um, again, this idea of the simulated universe model. Is that where he means? Mm, not necessarily. He didn't, I mean, I got pretty much the gist of, I've just read the gist of his message. I think he gave some more examples of certain events that were in the news that just sort of were big and then fell away. And then he's implying that, you know, there are a lot of people in the in the alt media that believe that, you know, the a lot of these headlines are, are BS to begin with, uh, or at least to a greater degree. But he feels that, uh, you know, that we're experiencing, and I don't know if you would p classify this as a classic Mandela effect or just a, a shifting and uh, ebbing and flowing of reality and things just sort of blinking on and off, uh, you know, well, and, yeah. Yeah, I consider it uh, quintessential reality shifts. So it's right in the essence of what we're talking about. When I talked about discontinuities in the macroscopic scale, um, then we also witness things like you can look at the the fossil record and see um, that we've had really bizarre jumps of evolution that yeah, people want to find that nice, smooth, uh, continuous evolutionary trail. Instead, they find bizarre jumps where huh. one minute you've got a creature that's um, swimming and suddenly it's on land and it's got legs now. And, and oh, look, now it's got wings, um, you know, or whatever. And, and so some of the missing pieces are not there. I'm, I, the reason I'm going to the fossil record is you can see the same thing with the, the birth of our solar system and the existence of our Earth and the fact that we've not been completely wiped out by an asteroid hitting us, that something did strike the planet, we got our moon from it, but we weren't completely destroyed. Not only that, you can go back farther in time. What I'm trying to tell you is, it goes weirder than the Zika virus. It's weirder than Ebola. It's weirder than the collapse of the 2016 economy. Mm -hmm. it, it is so freaking weird that it's off the charts weird that mm -hmm. we're here at, at all. It's the probability of our being able to have survived all the stuff we've survived. It's just, it's ridiculously unlikely. Mm -hmm. it's, mu it's much more likely that we would not exist at all. 
Wow. And so this then fits with some of the theorists who um, are along the lines of the philosopher Leibniz, and um, and there's the modern philosopher who wrote the book Axiogenesis, which I love, which takes the Leibniz ideas and brings them forward. And uh, then we've got the ideas of Robert Lanza, who talks about mm. bio- biocentrism and the fact that it could be that just because we're here, everything's working out for us to exist. And mm. And, and what I'm saying is that completely fits this multiple possible pasts model where we dodge all the bullets because we're able to. Um, and, and then you can say, like, okay, well, we haven't dodged all the bullets, Cynthia. My life sucks and, you know, bad things are happening to my friends. Okay, you know, I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is on a big scale um, that it's kind of off the charts imp- impossible, actually, that we're here at all. Hmm. It, it's, it's ridiculously unlikely. Wow. So something is going on <laughs> and we have something to do with it. So that's, uh, that's great. We'll leave that there. Here's another one, Timothy Mark Robinson. And I'm going to read uh, Timothy and then we're going to go to Ramsey and then we're going to wrap it up from there. But Timothy says, Oh, I just read his whole name. Sorry. <laughs> Timothy Mark R. <laughs> uh, and by the way, you can, you, you guys can go to the Facebook page and read, read these for yourself. Uh, uh, everyone. So he says, when I was in college, I came home to, this is, this is a personal ME is what I'm calling this. I came home to visit my family when I was in college. My sister and I used my mother's car to see a friend perform by the beach. Intuition told me not to drink that night. So I didn't. On our way back, we got pulled over. Having nothing to fear, I spoke respectfully and eloquently to the officer. The cop gave me a ticket for an expired inspection. I told him it was my mother's car. He was nice enough and still gave me a ticket. However, as we drove on the dark roads the rest of the way home, the ticket went missing. We got home and looked all over for it in the car. I got my mother's car inspected a few days later. A week or so later, I worriedly returned home and went to the DMV to pay for the ticket. They could not find anything on file. There was no ticket for my mom's plates, my name or my mother's name. I was perplexed and asked my sister, did we even get a ticket? Was it all a dream? She said, nope. She remembered the events as exactly I did. So he wants to know, was this a time slip perhaps or a parallel timeline where the cop entered from a reality where I was supposed to get a ticket or worse, a DUI, or maybe we entered another universe where we were never given a ticket, but our memory of the event survives. Ever so often this incident comes up as we are still dumbfounded. Yeah, it's it is this is is another classic reality shifts experience. And again, notice, thank goodness there was another witness because otherwise we would never hear these stories. Then what happens if it's just one person noticing is they just assume I was really confused. I must have had too much to drink. It's when you've got the other witness, the sister in the car, who says, Nope, you're remembering it exactly. We got a ticket. We got pulled over. You know, then you know, like, okay, so this wasn't some hallucination or a weird dream or something. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, I, as far as what's going on, again, it looks like for whatever, and I don't know whether we're in the holographic multiverse, whether it's a, uh, you know, I, I, we, we don't know for sure whether it's a hologram, whether it's a, the multiverse, or whether it's basically just this whole selection process. I tend to currently be siding with our personal involvement, that we do have free will, that we're actually choosing what's going on, both individually um, with each other and on larger and larger scales 
so you know socially basically that we're changing the outcome of history but because we are consciousness then remember it's not law of attraction we're not the physical body you are the consciousness you are jumping literally between worlds mm -hmm. so you you so they were in a reality where they got the ticket and then they're jumping to a reality where there is no ticket the DMV has no record of it so they, that was good they got the car inspected but there was no ticket to be paid because that no longer happened but they do remember it yeah you get the memory it's right. kind of like take only photographs leave only footprints um, but in this case that's what they say about traveling and being a good traveler but when you travel through realities all you get are your memories mm -hmm. you don't even get the photographs mm. wow well this is a question I had planned to ask and was going to drop it but you know what I think I'm going to bring this back in and that because I, I bet there's some people in the audience and this is the response I had when I read this I'm like hmm is there any way we can self-initiate alternate <laughs> memories meaning can we change the past and I'm laughing but that's certainly a, a subject that has been broached uh not the least of which by uh, Lynn McTaggart in in uh, the field and beyond um because if we can undo a ticket or more I have a feeling there are a lot of people out there that would want to give that a try that's one of the t yeah <laughs> I t I'm gonna make a deal with you Cynthia excuse me um because we are running out of time can you chew on that question and because here's the the question i was will pose to you but maybe we can have you uh think about it and maybe give our audience a little um a little uh not advice but a little suggestion uh, my question is is there any way we might be able to experiment on a micro level with small things in changing the past or altering something that we a memory that we had that we really 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 believe happened and changing it in other words can we consciously initiate this now i don't want you to answer that question but if if you're willing to take me on i would love to revisit this and maybe have you something have you write something or you know maybe we'll add a little addendum to this after the fact yeah. Is that a deal? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, this, now you're getting in, I do martial arts and it's totally doable, but the kind of thing I can do with martial arts is not the kind of thing a beginner who's never done anything like that can do. And we're talking now, we're entering the realm of the yogi sutras of Patanjali. Mm. And, and so I, I get, this is the number one thing I get emails about. M more people write to me wanting to change the past than any other really? subject. Really? I'm not and surprised. I'm not surprised. And the thing is, I, I, I can work with them individually, but um, it's it's not a recipe. This is not something where you follow okay. the steps and you get the result. Okay. I get that. That's I know that's a big question. I'm just, because I, I, my I myself had been thinking about if there was a little experiment, even with something teeny, 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 just to show me that I have the ability to shift the past, I'd love to try it, but perhaps I'm oversimplifying. Maybe if you have an article that you've written that approaches this or something that you could send to me that we can post, that would be great. Uh, so think about that. Um, but I do respect absolutely what you said. You're, you're, we're getting into the realm of big stuff here that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of practice. So let me read one more for you and then we're going to, we're going to wrap it up for today. And I do appreciate you staying on with us a little longer. This has been great. This is from Ramsey, Ramsey S. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, R-A-M-Z-Y. This person says, I had my experience of the Mandela Effect a couple of years back where the son of one of our leaders in our region had passed away 
and we saw his funeral on TV and his family and the public actually mourning him. A few months from the actual event, we started seeing him across social media and other platforms, resuming his work like normal. And then my wife asked me, didn't that guy die? And I told her, yes, in that reality and that parallel earth, he did die. And since we're always shifting billions of parallel earth realities, we happen now to be in this reality where he is not dead. So that's not a question, it's a comment, but apparently there are quite a few people that are on board with the idea of parallel realities. Uh, love the answer that he gave his wife. Perfect. You know, that's pretty much what I would say too. And and that gets back to what you said, are more and more people experiencing this? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so we've got more people that are starting to become familiar with the topic, uh, recognize it uh, when it's happening and be able to feel comfortable talking about it than ever before. Mm, that's great. And, and I, and I get emails that I don't share. You know, I can tell you um, that I've gotten reports that I have shared in Reality Shift newsletters that I, I didn't say at the time, this is from the Pentagon, mm. or this this is from a high level um, uh, they, what, a solicitor, they call it, you know, in the United Kingdom and so forth. But I've gotten top level reports from all around the world. These are not um, people who are drugged out. Um, idiots or you know with faulty memories and problems these are some of our highest level citizens in our top institutions and they're wondering what's going on hmm. so it's it's big well that's a, a heck of a place to leave it so it is big and i don't think it's going to get any smaller i think it's going to continue to grow so i say in in conclusion as always keep our minds our our hearts open our minds open. The possibilities are infinite, as we know. And once again, I want to I want to just thank everyone. Um, we had an overwhelming response to my request for people to send us their own Mandela Effect experiences and comments on the subject. And I apologize if I wasn't able to read everyone's comments, but I do thank all of you so much for weighing in. So, Miss Cynthia Sue Larson, what can I say? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I want everyone to go to realityshifters.com right now because it's chock full of stories and you've heard some of uh, Cynthia's amazing philosophy and science and research, arduous research and uh, that she's put into this subject and, and others. So please go to realityshifters.com uh, to learn more about her work if you, if you haven't already. And I would recommend everyone picking up a copy of the book Reality Shifts. Is it, I'm going to read this from memory. When consciousness changes the physical world. Is that the subtitle? That's right. All right. Got I it. got it. I got it. Go get it. Cause it's good. I got it in my library and it's also marked up with copious notes. So I think you should definitely go grab a copy. Any closing thoughts, Cindy? Just keep asking how good can it get? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what's happening. <laughs> no matter what's happening. How good can it get? Well, it's been pretty damn good for me today because Cynthia has been on the show. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you as always. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon. Maybe we'll never know for sure what's causing these quirks of reality to show up in our day-to-day -day lives. But one thing's for sure, reality is much stranger than we could ever imagine. Let's keep asking questions, remain open and discerning. And as always, let experience be our guide, and perhaps one day we will understand not only the true nature of reality, but most importantly, the true potential of ourselves. Thanks as always for tuning in to Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'm your host, 
Alexis Brooks.